Hello Watch Enthusiasts and welcome to Watch Chronicler and Watch Chronicler coverage of Watches and Wonders 2021. And this is in many ways a very different show to previous ones, including Baselworld and SIHH, which you could see as the sort of predecessor to this show and its much larger scale, much higher profile format. And in the previous video I've produced about this, I spoke about the headline watches. These were pieces like the new sports watches from Rolex, as well as the new various materials available for the Tudor Black Bay, of course, the Green Dial Patek Philippe Nautilus, and some very interesting and mainstream watches from Cartier. But now that I've addressed those pieces in that video and podcast, a format which, by the way, I'm following with this piece, which is unscripted to be off the cuff, as well as being uploaded both as a YouTube video with full images, as well as a podcast on all the normal channels where you would find Watch Chronicler unscripted. But I'd like to speak today about dress watches, because a lot of the brands originally subscribed, originally signed up to Watches and Wonders, were dress watch primarily brands. These were brands with a very strong traditional presence, and brands which didn't tend to venture as deeply into the sports watch world as those which previously occupied the halls of Baselworld. The show and the format in Geneva, which Watches and Wonders has grown from, favours high-priced watches. This was a show which grew from the SIHH sort of crowd, and so the result is a set of watches from brands which tend to specialise in luxury and high horology. So it's not that surprising that you don't have quite the breadth of Baselworld. Of course, an awful lot of watches have been released over the last few days, which won't make it into this video, but which I'd like to mention at the beginning before continuing on with those which have made the cut. And some which haven't made the cut include the new Langer Little Langer 1 Moon Phase, with an exquisite aventurine glass dial, which is a dark blue glass dial with metallic flecks in it, and stars on the dial to give a very beautiful and different appearance to what is usually a very Teutonic, very firm, very square sort of design. Of course, there are also a few interesting nomoses, speaking of German brands, including the new Club Campus, which comes in two new colours, Future Orange and Absolute Grey. I must say, living in England, Absolute Grey seems almost a joke in relation to our weather. And then there's a new range of Nomos Metro and Tangente versions with peripheral dates, which we've seen for the last few years from Nomos, but not in these particular models. The final piece which hasn't made it is a set of three, in fact, from Vacheron-Constantin, which include the Métier d'Art Tribute to Great Explorers, with an interesting arrangement of dials, with rather beautiful illustrations of some of the explorers of the past in their discoveries of various far-flung places in the world. But the watches in today's video are in many ways more traditional, more concrete, including some classics from Cartier, as well as a classic from Piaget, which I wasn't expecting to see, but which suggests the brand has stepped away slightly from its pursuit of absolute thinness in which it's been competing with Bulgari over the last few years. Something worth noting at this point before I begin is that I haven't included any major complication watches in today's video. Never fear, those will appear later on in the content produced about the show, so do expect those to come later with some fantastic chronographs, tourbillons and altogether exciting pieces, including quite a few perpetual calendars which have appeared over the last few days and suggest some very interesting interpretations of essentially the same complication. Of course, do remember that if you enjoy this video, please remember to follow us on Instagram to always know about the latest content and also to head over to watchchronicler.com where you can find the bulk of Watch Chronicler content, including reviews, podcasts and of course full articles. So where should we begin? Well, I think it would be worthwhile beginning in the same place as I ended in the previous video. That's to say with Cartier. And Cartier has now launched the new Cloche de Cartier in the Privé collection, or the Collection Privé. And this is a watch which has a very interesting history behind it, because the Cloche is not one of the standard Cartier which you would recognise as someone who wasn't particularly interested in watches. 
This is very much a specialised watch and one which is known amongst collectors but not generally to the public. This watch was originally launched in the early 1920s as a brooch or fob watch, like you might see on a nurse where the watch dangles from the front of someone's clothing and can be lifted to be able to see the time, so it was normally suspended upside down if you looked directly at the person. This developed in the early 20s into a wristwatch and was launched in periodic reissues throughout the 20th century. The watch only really became a central staple of the brand though in 1984 when it came in quartz form and then crucially as a 200 piece limited edition in mechanical form in 1995 and once again in 2007 with Roman numerals this time as previous versions had shown Arabic numerals. What's important to note about this reissue is that it comes in Cartier's Privé collection and this is a collection which is specialised in bringing back past models from Cartier's back catalogue and is a range generally known for being quite sympathetic to older designs without necessarily all of the modern ornamentation or changes which you might expect to see on more mainstream Cartier watches. Interestingly, this collection was launched in 2017 because the previous collection, which satisfied roughly the same aim, was the Collection Privé Cartier Paris, which was discontinued in 2008 after running for about a decade. But the new watch is a curious form. Obviously, being called the cloche, it is bell-shaped if you place it on its side, and that was a key aim of the design of this watch, the idea being that you could put it down on your bedside table with the ability to read it in the night, which I think is a very interesting idea. Of course, it's not a luminous watch, but still it takes the form of travel watches you might have expected to see about a 100 years ago now. The dimensions for this watch are 38mm by 28.75mm, creating a very compact format for the watch, and clearly this is a man's watch, but I'm sure it will be very wearable for a woman as well, with smaller wrists. And whilst this may be a very retrospective watch, it does take a lot of modern characteristics, notably it drops the older Arabic numerals in favour of much more iconic for Cartier Roman numerals and tank-style hands which are roughly sword-shaped rather than the palm hands you might associate with Breguet which were previously seen on this watch. But there is some very clever design concealed within a very simple appearance. Notably, the only brushed parts of the watch are the side which you would put down, that's to say the flat side, which you would place on your bedside table and the case back, the two sides which would actually be in contact with a hard surface, so this brushing would cover scratches to an extent. The other styling feature to note is a line which cuts along the side of the watch, that's to say the frontal side of the watch, to create a bell shape when you look at the watch carefully. Broadly speaking, there are two collections being launched here. First, the original remake version is a set of three different watches released in 100 pieces each. These feature simple printed dials with Roman numerals and all include the Calibre 1917 MC, which is a manual 38-hour power reserve 3 hertz 19 joule movement, which is essentially the Cartier movement used in all expensive manual Cartier watches without additional complications. And the three versions available come in two 18-karat gold models and a platinum model. The 18 karat yellow gold watch is perhaps the one which pushes the boat out the furthest because this is a bright yellow gold watch with a matching sunburst gold dial, sapphire cabochon as per the material, and blued steel hands to complement the black text on the dial, and an altogether rather 80s look which actually suits the history of the watch very very well. The next watch is a much more modern appearance and not necessarily to my liking, but I can see the appeal is an 18 karat rose gold version with a sunburst anthracite dial to give contrast, painted gold markers and text, a white second track and rose gold hands to contrast the dial and match the case with a sapphire cabochon on the crown again in relation to the case material. The real standout model for me in the same way as I've loved previous platinum watches from the brand is of course the platinum version which is the most subdued in many ways which is perhaps why I like it so much. This is a watch with an off-white dial as you might have seen in period, all black subdued printing, blued steel hands 
and the Ruby Cabochon just to give off that one detail which will tell a collector exactly what they need to know without handling the watch, that it is in fact platinum. If however you want something a bit more modern, there are skeletonized models as well. These share the case and general design of the other pieces, but gain a fully skeletonized movement which is, I must say, beautiful. It has full anglage on the various elements you can see, and a sunburst brushed effect on the surface which creates a simple but very very clean appearance. The structure as well of the movement of bridges, which connect the centre of the movement to the outside of the case, is styled to look like the Roman numerals you might see on another Cartier watch, which I think is a great touch and means you do retain some legibility. The main centre of this is the calibre 9626, which is a very different movement to the one seen in the standard versions, and is a 25 joule movement with very similar specifications, but with a circular design as you can see to really give a very aesthetic appearance to a very simple movement, but one which just has to deliver reliability and quality. The versions available include a pink gold and a platinum version, these are each available in 50 pieces with blued hands and of course the appropriate colour cabochon, and then you have a platinum version with diamonds produced in 10 pieces with a white diamond cabochon, and I must say there is one detail here which I would love to have seen changed, which would be a pink diamond as the cabochon, just to give that touch to the fact that it is a platinum watch, but I can understand how that would be an unbelievably expensive approach to take. Now we don't actually have the pricing details for these watches yet, but the reason why they deserve to be in this video is simply because they are so different. These demonstrate a new period we're entering over the next few years where remakes of watches from the 20s may become commonplace, and this is a wonderful thought because it was a time of real creativity before watches became pinned down in their far more modern, and in many ways far more set, aesthetic directions. Continuing in the same spirit as those Cartier watches, another watch which is going to be celebrating its 100th anniversary this year is the Vacheron Constantin Historique American 1921, or rather its historical counterpart will. And this is an interesting watch because it's one of the few watches from a brand other than Cartier which is able to celebrate such an anniversary at this point. And again it's a symbol of moving into an era when I think seeing reissues of watches from this period will be far more common. But the real reason why the watches in this new collection needed to be seen in this video is because they are Vacheron-Stantin at their absolute best. These are exquisitely made watches, beautiful to look at, and also they're a resolution of some designs we've seen from the brand in the past, but which to me have always seemed a little bit hit and miss. Previously and currently at the moment in the collection are more flashy models in either rose gold or platinum, and the platinum version to me was the more appealing of the two, being more subtle, but with blue hands, blue numerals, and a very bold dial appearance, I never found that it quite worked. But this year they've released three new versions, two unlimited and one limited, and predictably it's the limited one which is more appealing. The unlimited versions are perhaps a long-term addition to the collection which was needed. These are white gold watches in both sizes, that's say 36.5mm by 7.41 thick, and 40mm by 8.06 thick. And prices follow, being £25,800 for the smaller and £31,200 for the larger. These have a very subdued appearance with a white gold case, as I've said, a printed dial with a grain silver tone, and blackened hands which are presumably gold. The more expensive and limited version is the platinum version, which falls into the Platine collection, and this means these are limited edition watches with a very interesting and different design, because this watch moves away from the appearance of the current platinum model, and instead goes for a fantastic appearance with a fantastic three-dimensional feel. The case is of course 950 platinum, and the dial is sandblasted platinum too, so you get the same colour across the watch, but with a matte dial which is of course going to be a little less flashy than on, let's say, a rose gold equivalent. You have thermally blued steel second hands on these watches, but with 18 karat white gold markers on the dial applied with fantastic sharp edges and matching hands. 
This resolves the design in a phenomenal way for me, and means that this rather quirky dial arrangement with the 12 placed at the conventional 2 o'clock with the crown directly above it works in a way which I don't think it has before, because this watch embraces quirkiness but doesn't take it as any excuse to be anything but the best. Produced in 100 pieces, this watch will be sold for 43 or so thousand pounds, which is about 500 pounds more than the normal platinum model. And as is seen in the standard watch, the same movement is used in these pieces too, understandably, and it's the exquisitely finished 4400 AS manual 4Hz movement with a 65-hour power reserve, 21 joules, and of course the Geneva seal, proving the exquisite quality of this movement. And purely aesthetically speaking, it's a better-looking movement than anything I've seen from Patek Philippe in the last few years, and I think that says a lot about the way Vacheron Constantin is different to Patek Philippe in the way it approaches its watches, its designs, and also its brand. To understand the next watch in this video, you have to move from the 1920s to the 1950s, because this is a watch from Piaget, and Piaget is an unusual brand in many ways, because really they're generally only known for one watch, the Altiplano. Now this is, to be honest, a little bit of an overstatement, because there are plenty of other watches in their collection which have been important over the years, but it's the Altiplano, their ultra-slim dress watch, which has really stood the test of time, and perhaps most of all because they've updated it very regularly with industry-leading, and in fact record-holding models. Over the last few years, we've seen models which have entirely dropped the vintage aesthetics or classic aesthetics of the original in favour of very technical appearances for, in fact, purely technical reasons. Notably, they've rearranged their movements to be built directly off the case back as the base plate with a dial which is sunken into the movement and therefore creating a skeletonized look, despite the fact that the watch isn't, strictly speaking, skeletonized. This was the principle originally with their 900P, which was a manual watch 38mm wide which was only 3.65mm thick. Then you had the 910p, which came out a few years later, which grew to 41mm and 4.3mm thick, but was automatic, with a peripheral rotor around the movement itself to be able to give you additional practicality. And then most recently there was the ultimate concept, the least practical, but perhaps most incredible of all of these pieces, which is a multi-hundred thousand Swiss franc watch. So highly inaccessible watch, but also one which is the pinnacle of thin watchmaking. And this was a normal time-only watch, but only two millimeters thick, made from a special cobalt alloy which was strong enough to resist being this thin on the wrist, and even with a strange flat crown which required a separate tool to operate. To put that into perspective, two millimeters is thinner than most sapphire crystals you would find on most medium to low water resistance dive watches, and in fact some simple 100 meter water resistant watches have crystals this thick. So it's amazing they've been able to fit an entire watch into that space. And they have in fact reissued that watch this year in a new coloration to celebrate the area where some of these watches are made in Switzerland, but quite honestly I don't really understand the point because being technically identical to the standard watch, it doesn't really make sense that they would make a new coloration as a special edition when, due to the enormous price of these pieces, everyone produced is bespoke for the owner. But the watch they've released which I think is much more interesting is the Altiplano Origin 35mm, which, despite its name, is not actually a vintage-looking watch at all to my eye. On paper, this is a very simple, beautifully finished, and not even particularly thin watch, which brings back the appearance of some older watches, not in terms of being some nostalgic remake, but in terms of bringing back the pure back-to-basics elegance of watches from the past. And most importantly, this watch also drops the, you could say, somewhat childish fight which Piaget has had with Bulgaria over the last few years to produce the thinnest watches in the world. Instead, this watch is simply wonderful because it's beautifully made and a beautiful design, not because it's trying to prove anything.
In many ways, the design of this watch is based on the original models, including the original 1957 model of the Altiplano, which had the 9P manual calibre, which was an extremely thin manually wound calibre produced by Piaget, and a few years later followed the 12P, which was the automatic equivalent, and in many ways the ancestor of the watch I'm speaking about today. Where dimensions are concerned, this watch is 35mm wide by 8.1mm thick, and that's not particularly thin, quite honestly. But the dimensions don't really tell you everything about this watch. Aesthetically, it's a wonderful piece. 35mm may seem small, and certainly for some it will be a small size. For me personally, though, I think 35mm is a wonderful size for a dress watch. And the design is very minimalistic, but in no way dull. It's a fully polished watch with a very simple case, with a brushed case back and beautifully beveled, simple lugs, as you would see in period. And it brings back a time of simple, restrained and completely timeless design. This is a watch which will look fantastic in the future, would have looked fantastic in the past, and certainly looks wonderful today. Moving to the dial of the watch, you have a really beautiful execution of something fundamentally very simple, because this is a two-hand, no-date watch. So it has an exquisite sunburst effect dial, which really is befitting the price. You also have fully beveled hands from back to tip with a wonderful central hand cap, and you also have applied markers which are very, very fine and surprisingly modern actually, with the only signature on the dial beyond Piaget in the normal 12 o'clock position being Altiplano printed very finely beneath the index at 8. Inside the watch is the Caliber 510P, a two-hand automatic 3Hz movement with a 43-hour power reserve, 25 joules and a 3.6mm thickness. And it's a beautiful movement, certainly, the rotor is exquisite, and the appearance of the whole movement fits the price of this watch. But it has to be said that this isn't an impressive movement where thickness is concerned. Fundamentally, a 3.6mm thick movement in this configuration is no better than an ETA2892. That's a movement of the same thickness, which admittedly originally was conceived to be an automatic, ultra-thin movement, but you would expect them to have moved on a bit, and the power reserve is not really up to modern standards, so I must admit that, mechanically speaking, I do think that this Piaget doesn't compete particularly favourably against other brands' options. But I think what's most important about this watch is that it does present a realisation in Piaget. They can place an emphasis on watches which aren't technically the pinnacle of everything in the world, but which are nonetheless lovely. And this watch comes in three versions, with, interestingly, only one model without diamonds. There is a rose gold version without diamonds for 18,100 Swiss francs, and then both other versions in rose gold and white gold have diamond bezels. And the diamond application normally is something which I despise on the exterior of watch cases in a large way. But in this case, it's so subtle that actually it fits with the intended period and history of this watch extremely well. And the prices for those watches are 25,100 francs for the rose gold model and 26,200 for the white gold. And ultimately, this isn't a cheap watch, but it is certainly a very attractive one. Whilst preparing to produce this video, there were an awful lot of watches which fell into the dress watch category, but which could be classed as complicated watches. And so my attention ended up being directed towards watches which were more interesting than supreme in terms of technical merit. But there was one brand which demonstrated a very, very impressive level of both technical and aesthetic merit, which quite honestly doesn't receive enough respect, and this is Schuppach. Schuppach is a brand with a phenomenal quality level across their range, but primarily in their LUC collection, which is their in-house collection and their more expensive range, which I think competes very favourably against the leading lights in the high horology world. Now, they don't have the same extent of top-level complications as those brands, but they do have a level of quality which is comparable. And this is why the two last watches in today's video are from Schuppach. And they're both celebratory models for the 25th anniversary of this brand's manufacture, that's to say their ability to produce in-house movements in their most modern form. 
And Chopin's manufacture began movement production in Fleurier in 1996, and this is denoted in their collection by the LUC models, which also see work take place in Geneva. Now, the first of these two watches to speak about is the Chopin LUC Quattro Spirit 25 Jumping Hour. And this is not a cheap watch by any standards. It's a very expensive 40 plus thousand franc timepiece. But it is important to speak about because it demonstrates not only a new complication for the brand, but a very clever piece of engineering which doesn't tend to be discussed very often because Chopin as a brand isn't generally discussed very often either. And this watch brings back the jump hour system, which we've seen intermittently from a variety of brands, and most recently from IWC, for instance, with their Paul Weber models. And this watch is a 40mm by 10.3mm thick dress watch, which seems like a fairly chunky timepiece, but the design is really rather beautiful, with a complex double-lip bezel with very firm lugs, and a wonderful LUC-signed crown in a cog sort of form. The case sides are slightly bulbous and vertically brushed, and the whole thing comes together really beautifully to create something altogether more interesting than something you could buy from, let's say, Patek Philippe or Rolex for the same sort of price. The dial also presents the same level of quality and is pretty impressive in its own simple sort of way, a way which isn't obvious at first glance, but to a collector or someone who likes watches is really wonderful. You have an in-house grand feu enamel dial with an 18 karat rose gold base, that's to say the base onto which the enamel is poured before being heated to melt into its correct place. And this is the rim you see around the window which displays the hours on the dial, because as a result of having jump hours, you have a digital hour display on this watch. All the printing is also not as it first seems. This isn't print onto the surface of the enamel, but instead it's black enamel applied to the surface of the white enamel. And this is a surprisingly difficult process, because in terms of enamel production, you have to be very careful to use particular enamels which melt at different temperatures so that you don't melt the whole dial whilst trying to add further enamel to the surface. It's an extremely interesting process and a stunning one to see on a watch. Of course, there's only one hand to speak of, and this is a centrally capped golden minute hand with the very particular design the brand tends to use and a really exquisite font and print choice around the dial completes a package which I think is extremely beautiful. But ultimately, the aesthetics of this watch are neither here nor there, because you don't really want to watch for this price, which is all face and no trousers, so to speak. So the movement uses the LUC98.06L. And this is a development of the Quattro technology, which has been developed over the past two decades within the brand. And this is a particular system which involves the superimposition, you could say, of different spring barrels to increase the power reserve. So this watch is a manually wound movement, but with an 8-day or 192-hour power reserve, despite the increased power draw from having jumping hours, which is very real, because this watch has four spring barrels stacked in pairs to deliver that energy to the watch. This also isn't a low-beat watch to extend the power reserve. It still runs at 4 hertz and is absolutely exquisite in terms of finishing. It really is stunning with its 42 jewels and an extensive range of finishes across the surfaces. It has these exquisite curved bridges and an aesthetic design which you would think was planned from the start to create a look which is delicate but also gives you a full view of everything going on in the movement. And of course it does have the Geneva seal to guarantee the quality and finishing. A particular detail I like is the presence of a jeweled power reserve indicator on the case back, so the dial isn't interrupted or interfered with, but when you take the watch off to wind it in the morning, you can see just how many days have passed and how many days you have until you have to wind the watch up again. And jump hours are interesting in the world of complications, because like deadbeat seconds, they're extremely simple in terms of aesthetic appearance, and to the untrained eye, don't look anything like as impressive as a perpetual calendar, an annual calendar, or even a moon phase. 
But this is still a complication which is stunning to see and shows the ability to produce high horology watches within the Chopard brand. But this is particularly interesting because it seems as though there is a shift at the moment between which brands are the, let's say, secondary high horology brands. For the longest period, JLC was seen as the watchmaker's watchmaker. So Gégé Le Coutre was the brand which you would go to if you didn't want to have a flashy watch like a Patek Philippe, but you nonetheless wanted extremely high levels of quality. But in recent months, it's become quite clear from a few different sources that JLC quality is certainly not there anymore, or rather quality control just isn't there. And so this Chopard presents a different option. A hundred pieces of this watch are being made for £39,000, which is no small amount of money. But I think for such a small limited run, and with such a remarkable movement, it's actually not that bad value. The second celebratory model to speak about is the Chopard LUC QF Jubilee. Now this watch also celebrates the 25th anniversary of the brand's manufacture, but more specifically it celebrates their calibre 196, which was developed between 1993 and 1996. And this movement is seen as a true competitor as a micro-rotor high horology movement to the Patek Philippe 240, with only a 3mm thickness, breguet overcoil balance spring, superb striping graining and perlage, as well as the very best anglage. And the watch this piece celebrates as well is the 1860, the very first watch of the LUC Manufacture. But nevertheless, with a 39 by 8.9mm case, which is incidentally 2mm wider than the original 1860, and presented in polished steel, is the first stainless steel Chopard to receive the Fleurier Quality Foundation certification, which means that it's 100% Swiss made, finished to a superlative level, accurate and particularly accurate under strain and testing conditions, across all the conditions the watch might come across. So it's a much more comprehensive level of testing than you would get from COSC or other certifications which only cover timekeeping or chronometry or these sorts of elements. This is a test which covers the manufacturing and appearance of the movement too. The movement chosen in this watch isn't a remake of the original, but a very clear modern interpretation, the LUC 96.09, an in-house movement with a 22 karat gold micro-rotor, as was seen on the original, with 29 joules running at 4Hz, and with a very competitive 65-hour power reserve. The finishing is glorious, and there's a real old-school charm to this, particularly in the signature on the rotor. It's a magnificent movement, and not something you would expect to see for the price of this watch, which is something important which I'll note in a minute. The design of this watch is very vintage, and you can't really get around that. It has Cordovache style horn lugs, a sunburst dial with galvanic blue and silver elements, 50s style luminous markers and matching hands, and presented on a rather informal leather strap, it looks like a gorgeous everyday watch, in the same sort of price range, priced at 14,500 Swiss francs, as something like a Langer Saxonia. And the Saxonia is a glorious watch, but seeing this piece, I think that in this watch you are getting something more individual and more interesting than that, and that's not something I thought I was going to say in a hurry, given just how exquisite a watch the Langer Saxonia is. This is also an unbelievably rare watch for the price it's being offered for. Only 25 of these watches are being made, and so I think that if you can get hold of one of these, it might just be one of the best value watches in the whole show. But how do you conclude a video about fundamentally a range of extremely expensive and highly inaccessible dress watches? I think that through these watches, you can see a very, very interesting direction for dress watches to go, and certainly it showcases a few brands which maybe haven't been shown in the same light as their competitors, just because of not being present in the same circles. So I think Chopard, for instance, and Piaget have done phenomenal jobs this year, and it's been a real pleasure to see these watches from lesser appreciated but certainly deserving brands. But let me know what your thoughts are in the comments section below on YouTube, and of course remember to subscribe and follow us on whichever podcast player you enjoy using, because of course you can find these episodes there as well. So thank you very much for watching and listening. This is Armon 
from watchchronicler.com, out.